Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. I have a very, very special guest today that I have been recruiting to be on the show now for quite a while. John Pepper is internationally known as an individual who has figured out ways to reverse the symptoms he has experienced that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I'm your host, Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. We've been providing support, resources, and information to individuals who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms now for over a decade. John, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and speaking for thousands of listeners for taking the time out of your busy lecture tour for being on the show today. It's a pleasure, Robert. Nice meeting you. So tell us all a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, My Parkinson started way back in 1963 when I found that I couldn't throw a ball properly. Now, one wouldn't think that uh, if you couldn't throw a ball, you suddenly found you couldn't throw a ball, you would go to your doctor and ask him what's wrong. So I did nothing about it. I assumed it had something to do with the fact that I hadn't thrown a ball for 10 years. I was age 29 at the time. But then um, every second year or so, more and more symptoms, which I know now to be Parkinson's, um, uh, kept on occurring. In 1968, I found I couldn't write properly. Like a lot of people, the writing got so small, I couldn't read it, and it, it became, I, I stopped writing when I just couldn't move a hand anymore. So um, I rather um, got into a bit of trouble on that because I was running a, a fairly large company, and I used to do the selling and still at that stage, and uh, I bought a, a big order in, and in my excitement of being a big order and my lack of ability to, to write, I wrote out a, a ticket which the um, people in the factory couldn't understand. They thought they could, and they, they printed the job which they thought was the right job, but it turned out to be the wrong job, and it nearly bankrupted my company. So I learned then to write everything in block letters, and I've been writing in block letters ever since 1968. And only when, uh, in 1992, when I walked into my um, doctor's rooms um, with something unrelated to Parkinson's, and he saw the way I was walking because I was shuffling, I wasn't swinging my arms. He sent me to a neurologist, and the neurologist um, said uh, that I had Parkinson's, and he did thorough tests and put me on to some medication, Cinemat and Simitrel. And for the next two years, I, I took them. But in the meantime, in all these years, from 1968 onwards, because of a back injury, I had been going to the gym for one hour a day, six days of the week. And... At that stage, when I was diagnosed, I decided to increase that time to 90 minutes a day for six days a week. But unfortunately, when I increased the, the amount of, um, of exercise that I was doing, my Parkinson's started progressing even quicker, and uh, my symptoms were getting quickly worse. And after two years of this, I decided this getting up at 5, 5.30 in the morning to go to the gym was not on. I'm wasting my time, and I decided to give up going to the gym. So my late wife, um, who then had been going to an organization, um, a a program in South Africa called Run, Stroke, Walk for Life, she had been doing walking, Walk for Life for two and a half years. She had lost 14 kilograms in weight. She had come off all her blood pressure pills, and she had come off all her antidepressant pills. 
I couldn't understand why a woman married to me would be depressed, but uh, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so she came off these pills, and she knew um, that if I stopped going to the gym, I wouldn't. My back would problems would come back again, and she begged me to join this Walk for Life program. And I couldn't see what three hours walking a week could do that nine hours in the gym wasn't doing. But anyway, I gave in. I, I gave in for the very reason I wanted to prove to her that she was wrong, which she wasn't often wrong. And um, I, I joined the Walk for Life. They they measured the time it took to walk one kilometer, and it was over ten and a half minutes. And after four months, that had improved down to less than nine minutes. And this improvement was the first improvement I'd seen in my physical um, life and my performance in over 20 years because I've been going downhill for the, the previous 20 years. But bearing in mind my, my Parkinson's symptoms started 29 years before then, in fact 31 years before that point. So anyway, I joined Walk for Life and, 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 and say after four months my, my performance had improved by over 20%. So I put everything into it, and four years later, all my visible symptoms of Parkinson's had disappeared. And it was only when I bumped into one of my um, previous managers of, of, one, of the business I ran did he say to me, and he hadn't seen me because I resigned the day I was, um, I was diagnosed, and I had already worked myself out of a job at that stage anyway and had trained people to take my place and managers and so forth. So when Archie, my manager, saw me, one of the managers saw me, he, he, he said to me, John, you look so good. But that was an accusation. He wasn't smiling when he said that. He expected to see me in a wheelchair, if at all. And oh. I realized that, um, in actual fact, I had improved. But, you know, when you live with it for six years at that stage, 1998, um, that you don't notice the things changing slowly. And when my wife and my children and grandchildren all sat and talked about it, they realized that, well, my grandchildren didn't see it too much. My, my children certainly did, and, and, and surely my late wife did. They realized that I, I had improved quite a lot, but it's so slow that you, you don't see it and you don't notice it. But people who meet you after many years do see it. So I found in 1998 that I had improved, and I carried on with this until 2002 when I decided to write a book about it. And at that time, I had been the chairman or president of the South African Parkinson Association, and I was holding um, um, an information day um, as in that position. And um, at this information day, there were three neurologists who all presented papers at that meeting. And I gave each one of those um, a copy, a printed copy of my book, which I printed out on my PC at that time and bound in spiral binding and gave them this copy, very proudly gave them this copy and asked them if, to give me their feedback if they... Um, thought it was very good, interesting, anything wrong, anything uh, claims that were wrong and so forth. But you know what? They never came back to me. And within several months, whether it's to do with them or not, I was asked to resign as chairman of the, of the South African Parkinson Association, having been accused of misleading people, of claiming to be cured, which I didn't anywhere in the book, of claiming to be cured without the, the use of medication. I only mentioned it 57 times. Maybe they missed it somewhere. Um, but uh, And also, I was using the association to sell my book. Well, in fact, the association asked me if they could sell the book. 
And um, so all of those those accusations were spurious, and those accusations were repeated by one of those neurologists at the next annual general meeting of that association, and I was humiliated at that meeting where they said that I didn't have Parkinson's, I shouldn't go around telling people that I have Parkinson's. And um, the, I, I, after, after she had finished her tirade against me, um, I said to her, um, where do you see in the book that I claim to be cured? And she says, no, John, it's not what you say in the book, it's what the impression you get reading the book. Now, how the hell can I follow that one up? I mean, the impression that she got reading my book, if she read it, was that I was claiming to be cured and I didn't use any medication and I'm misleading people because I cannot prove that what I'm doing is actually beneficial to Parkinson people. So I said to her, well, it's funny that the people I've helped have remained helped and I don't have to do um, scientific tests to prove that they feel better and they are in actual fact better. So it's been going on like that now with the, with the medical profession in South Africa with me where they claim that I don't have Parkinson's and people shouldn't listen to what I'm telling them. But in the rest of the world, I'm having very good results and um, a lot of people are following the, the idea of doing regular exercise, starting at a very low level and building it up and getting the benefit from it. As I understand it, then, you were doing some pretty aggressive exercise for quite a few hours every day, finding that your symptoms were actually getting worse, and then you switched over to this walking. What was it about the walking that made such a big difference? I don't know. I mean, scientifically, I don't know. But if I follow up on tests, studies that have been done scientifically by scientists, in 1993, um, in the... Um, French A Hospital in Bristol, they did a study on six Parkinson patients, stage four. Stage five is when you, you know, it's bedridden. So stage four is the one stage before you become bedridden. They did this study on those stage four people, six of them. They drilled a hole in the heads. They inserted a catheter about three inches long into the brain right down to the substantia nigra. They connected that with a tube under, under the skin subcutaneously down to the area of the underneath the rib cage. They installed there a, a container, a pump, and a battery to run the pump. And in that container, they put a substance called GDNF, glial-derived neurotrophic factor. Now, GDNF is a natural substance produced in the brain because the name itself tells you glial Glial-derived, and the glial cells are the cells attacked by Parkinson's, and they produce a substance which is neurotrophic. Neurotrophic means nerve repair. So you have a, nerve, a repair kit in your brain. Everybody has a repair kit in their brain. In fact, the body produces growth factor from every cell. Every different cell in the body produces a growth factor, and that growth factor is able to repair that particular type of cell or replace that particular type of cell. Now, I'm not a doctor or scientist, but this is the general idea. And in our brains, we have the, one, the cell that gets damaged by Parkinson's are the glial cells, and they produce their own um, repair factor, growth factor, and it's called GDNF. And these patients, after six months, I think it was, all got better, various degrees of better, but much more than the, um, what do you call it, the... Uh, um, 
when you think you're going to get better, I think it's about 30%, and there's a name which I can't think of offhand, but I know it. Placebo or a control? A placebo, that's the one, uh-huh. yes, placebo effect. So the placebo effect is 30%. They all improve by much more than 30%. One of them improved so much that he didn't have any visible signs of Parkinson's anymore. So that's, this substance, GDNF, is produced in the brain. It's a natural substance. And I think that when you walk hard... Walking fast is not natural. If you were in a hurry, you would run. Running is a lot easier than walking fast. And strolling is easy. But when you stroll, you don't create the situation where I think the brain thinks you're in trouble, there's something wrong, and it produces this growth factor, this GDNF. And it is because you're doing something which is unnatural, and it's, it's, um, it's, you know, I think fight or flight's got something to do with it. But all of these things are just my conjecture. Um, I think you know people should be have been doing um, studies for a long time now to find out how to get the body to produce more GDNF. I'm, I did it by accident, I think. Uh, I've stumbled on it with this Walk for Life program, and I know since I've been doing Walk for Life that I'm getting 100% better. In fact, you would never know, and nobody other than a neurologist would know that I still have Parkinson's. Now, in some interviews you've done, I've read that you talk about how uh, your program forced you to move slower in the very beginning. In other words, it was structured in the sense that in the early stages you really were walking much slower than you normally would, and then you just gradually picked up the, the pace. Is that a fair summary of what was going on? More or less, uh, more or less Robert. Um, what, what actually happened was, I, I carried on walking. Um, I started the walking the way I walked before. I was um, in a very bad posture, leaning forward, my head bending down. And I walked like that for quite a number of years. And before, I, because of that, I, uh, I ruptured another disc in the back. I prolapsed this disc in my back, a second one, having done the first one in, ni- in 1960. And anyway, the second one in... And I... Um, I was I went to hospital and had this disc removed. And when I came out of the hospital two or three days later, are you still there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Okay. Um, two or three days later, I had I came out and I started walking immediately. I got home and my wife and I walked together for one and a half kilometres. And the next day, I came out of the house with her to start walking again. And the sun was right on the horizon, and I saw my shadow on the wall next to me and there was this old man walking next to me my shadow was that of an old man and i looked at this and i was absolutely horrified this this old man was me and i was walking like that and i wasn't aware of that and immediately i thought to myself well why can't i stand up straight and i I mean i pushed myself up straight pulled my back muscle and got myself straight and pulled my shoulders back and there i was standing straight and I thought to myself, well, why aren't I walking like that? And I don't know the answer to that question. And if I, walk, if I consciously keep myself upright, I walk straight, I walk upright. If I don't, then my, I slump forward like I've been doing almost, almost immediately. So there's my natural um, um, posture is one of a slumping uh, old man, and my assumed posture using my conscious brain is upright. Now, the next thing that I noticed, having got this into my, my mind, why am I limping? And I found that 
I wasn't um, carrying the weight of my body on the left foot, on the toes of the left foot when I was walking. I was doing that on the right foot, but not on the left foot. So I was walking with a limp. And immediately I was able to consciously stand on the toes, hold my body weight on my toes of, of my left foot as well as my right foot. So I've carried on doing that consciously. And when I'm not thinking, I walk with a limp. And I, I, if I'm not thinking, my posture is the bad one. So I learned somewhere between 1998 and 2002 when I wrote the book that I was able to consciously control any movement that I make, like bringing food to my mouth, bringing a glass up to my mouth without spilling it and so forth. If I concentrate on the actual movement, I can do it without the, 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 the tremor. And if I don't, I have the tremor. And it's very really easy to, to show people, but very difficult to explain to people when they're using their conscious mind and when they're using the subconscious mind. Do you, you hear me? Yes. Um, that, it, and that's why I'm doing this too. I'm going all over the English-speaking world and I'm um, showing people, physically showing them how to walk properly. And able, everyone has been able to do it except one guy who couldn't, get out, couldn't hold, stand up on his legs and the other two, who were two Americans, rather old guys, and um, they just could not get this idea of consciously moving their legs. And um, they were the only two that I couldn't, wasn't able, able to um, persuade to use their conscious brain. They just couldn't do it. So I had two failures, but I've, I've had hundreds of successes. So um, you can say that generally it works 100% with everybody. Last night I took a lady who is quite bent and, and, um, and she's got scoliosis and she walked very badly. She came in with a walker and it took two people really to get her to sit down. And after I'd given my talk, I said to her, and this was a very crowded room, so we couldn't even do the walk inside the room. We had to walk in the passage outside. And I, I got, eventually got her outside into the passage. And I stood with her and I, and I explained to her that I, I wanted her to not think about what she was doing, in uh, uh, walking. She didn't, everybody tries to will themselves to walk. And I said to her, now, stand next to me here. I want you to put your weight on your left leg and um, consciously stick your leg out in front of you. I want to see how far you can stick your leg out in front of you. And she did it very well. So she stood on the right leg and she stuck the leg, left leg out very well. She was able to stand on her toes and she was able to swing her arms consciously. So I said to her, right, now, I don't want you to will yourself to walk anymore. I want you to just follow what I'm saying. Put your weight on one leg and then stick the other leg out, which you've just shown me you can do, and land consciously on the heel of that leg, which she did. And she followed it up with the heel of the, le the other leg. And we started to walk down the passage, and within 10 seconds we were walking quite fast. When I mean fast, I do mean fast. And at the end, we turned around without any, um, any, any hassle whatsoever. Normally, people with Parkinson's can't turn around. They stutter and stammer and, and um, festinate and so forth. Anyway, she turned around and came all the way back down the passage, by which time a whole crowd had got into the, into the corridor behind us to, to witness this lady walking fast with me. Okay, she wasn't standing up very straight because she has scoliosis, but she was uh, going along there with a smile on her face like everybody else and half the people are in tears. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> right. Anyway, it's so moving that um, it's, it's very difficult to understand, but it works. 
In the present moment, uh, I'm in Olympia, Washington, and you are in Vancouver, Canada. If, in fact, we were together, you and I, and taking a walk and talking back and forth, in other words, you're both walking, I'm walking, and we're talking at the same time, is multitasking a challenge for you or for persons with Parkinson's symptoms? Um, you're, you're talking about something which um, you know, I haven't done because I know I can't do it, but I haven't tried. So, but what I can tell you is, I'm a bird watcher, you know, the, the the feathered variety, and um, when I'm walking, if I hear a bird song that I don't know, or I see a bird that I haven't seen before, or can't remember seeing, my mind immediately goes off of what I'm doing, and it starts trying to find what sort of bird that is, you know, from all the bird books that I've got and so forth, and because I'm not concentrating on my walking. I immediately start to stumble. So therefore, to answer your question, if I was talking to you and it was a, an intelligent conversation where I had to concentrate on what I'm doing, my guess is that my walking would fall apart. You have just returned from the World Parkinson's Conference. What kind of revelations you, did you discover there? The only revelation is the same old, same old. Talk about medication, medication, new, new, new targets, for medication, alpha cyanocline, um, this and that, and, and all sorts of other things to do with genes and so forth. I agree that's, that's the way to go eventually looking for a cure. But the, the, the track record of looking for a cure is, for me, over the last 50 years they've been looking for a cure, if they haven't been looking even longer. If they are looking, actually, because... Let's be honest, if I was a, a, a manufacturer of drugs, I wouldn't be looking for a cure for anything because then I'd run out of customers. So it's not in their business interest to look for cures, but it, maybe they're not the people actually looking for the cure. Scientists are who get paid to, to look for a cure. But quite frankly, they're not getting much joy. But while they're doing all that, if we can, by producing more GDNF in the, in the body, in the brain, um, if we can live normal lives, why do we need a cure? You know, I, I can live with Parkinson's at the moment. I don't go to the doctor. I don't take any medication. Haven't done so for 14 years. Um, if we could all do that, why do we need a cure? Now, maybe what I've done doesn't work for everybody. Maybe there are different types of um, forms of PD. I don't believe that myself. My, my re reason for not believing it is it, the substantia nigra, where the, where the problem is, has approximately 30 billion, billion cells, brain cells. Now, the chances of me having the, the same number of uh, the same type of brain cell or the same area of the brain cells damaged as anybody else would be zero. We must all be different because how can all, if, if you select 80% of the brain cells damaged in my brain to be in the same position as the, same, as the brain cells in anybody else's brain, it would be zero. So they would be all different because every Parkinson patient presents differently. Does that make sense to you? It does indeed. So um, to answer your question, I cannot multitask and I have to concentrate very hard on what I'm doing, everything that I'm doing, and I do make mistakes because when I'm in the house, I don't think about my walking and I, and I shuffle, shuffle around the house. I'm always bumping into tables and chairs and things and door jams and walls and um, it's because I'm not looking where I'm going and my brain doesn't tell me that it sees a wall there in the way but it doesn't tell me that even though I can see it 
but I'm not concentrating on it. Does that make sense to you? It certainly mm-hmm. does. What so I'm, I'm always covered with bruises and cuts and so forth, so <laughs> I get <laughs> I get used to that. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, now, I'm 82 years of age, and I'm, as, I'm fitter than most people of 60 years of age, and I really mean that. And this trip that we're doing two months, we've, we've, we did earlier in the year, we did two months in Australia and New Zealand. And um, since then, we've now done a month in, in the USA, and we're now in Canada to do another month. Not too many men of 82 could do that, but I'm enjoying it. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. So where is your next presentation going to be? You're in Vancouver now. What's next up for you? Going to Calgary on Friday, and I will be... um, um, I'm going to in between now and tomorrow, or tomorrow, I'm going to Salt uh, Salt um, Spring Island, um, which is off Vancouver, and I'll be there for two days. Then we're going to Calgary for for four days, and we're going then to Winnipeg for five days, and then Toronto for five days. Followed that, there would be Ottawa for three days and Montreal for three days. So, uh, on the 25th of, um, or 24th of October, we're on our way back home. How exciting. Now, if people would like to be able to attend one of your presentations, I believe they can get information on your website. What's that address? Uh, it's it's reverseparkinsons.com, www.reverseparkinsons.com, with no apostrophe in the Parkinson's. Dot net, rather, I beg your pardon, dot net. Right. So R E V E R S E P A R A I N S O N S. S O N S dot N, as in Nancy, E as in Easy, T as in Tom. Absolutely correct. Thank you. So, what is the name or the title of your book? It's also reverse Parkinson's disease, which is what I've done. Reverse the direction that the symptoms are taking. That's what I'm reversing. It's not intimating that it's cured, because I get this thrown at me still by cynics. I'm not saying reverse is a direction. It's not a goal. And um, so I'm reversing and keep on reversing my symptoms because the Parkinson still keeps on making them worse. So I keep a balance between the two. And to be clear, John, uh, we're not talking about symptoms that that emerged over the last year for you. We're talking about symptoms that you've lived with for quite a while. 53 years, some of them. Um, The writing one is is, um, 58. It's uh, 48 years. Um, The um, coordination one is, is 53 years. Um, uh, depression and constipation is 60 years um, or 50 years. Uh, most of them are between 40 and 50 years. I've lived with all these things. Um, some of the things were, were more recent. This word, uh, you've heard me battling to find words in my brain, um, and, and it just still befuddles me. I just can't think of words when I have to. In the moment I stop thinking, I remember them. So, <laughs> um, you know, but that's tends to be, as you get old, those things tend to happen. So whether they're actually Parkinson's symptoms or just um, age that has been accelerated a bit, you know, um, I don't know. I'm not a a genius. Tell us a bit about your discoveries when it comes to mindfulness. Well, mindfulness 
can mean lots of things. Conscious control, I think, is specific. Um, when you concentrate on doing an actual movement, in other words, sticking your leg out in front of you or bending your knee or pointing your toe up in the air, that's a specific movement and you concentrate, you, you um, there's another word, uh, again, looking for words, you're actually just concentrating um, on one thing, doing one thing. And when you get used to using your conscious brain to, ma to make movements, it becomes a lot easier. Because as Dr. Norman Deutsch says, um, that you're building new brains. Every time you change your thinking, you start building different um, um, nerve pathways. And the easiest one to explain with that is to people who have a genuine, a general negative attitude to life, when they are persuaded to change that attitude, attitude to a positive attitude, they change the way they think. And they therefore have to change their brain to do that. And when you start thinking positively, you start making positive decisions. You stop making negative decisions. You, your, your whole thinking changes. So you can imagine what that does in your brain when you change just one little thing from a negative attitude to a positive attitude. Now, I have a very positive attitude on my Parkinson's, and I try and convey that to other people with a, a fair amount of success. The, the, the feedback that I get in the emails that people that bother to write back to me, and a lot of people get benefit that don't bother to write back, I don't expect them to, but these people who do write back tell me some incredible stories and how it has changed their lives, how they are different people, and most of that is the positive thinking, if I'm wrong, not wrong. You know what I mean, Robert. Yes, I do indeed. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. My guest today is John Pepper. So, John, for people listening, they may be thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to shift my negative thought forms, and I want to be <laughs> positive. I want to start it today. What would you recommend that they do starting right now? I would recommend that everybody, doesn't matter if they've got Parkinson's or not, people, especially everybody's getting older, so all people, from, from young onwards, you should all be doing a, a regular walking program. And the walking program, the goal is to walk three times a week for one hour. That's three, three hours of your week for your general health. Now, not just every day, but every second day. And if you want to really be good, walk every second day, which means in, in two weeks you've walked seven times. But if you only walk three times a week, it's enough. Three times a week, one hour. Don't get clever and walk two hours. I mean, walking fast, as fast as you can, because it keeps on getting faster as you get, as you get to a certain age, and then when you get to a certain age, it starts slowing down, which is quite natural. I mean, at one stage I was walking at nine kilometers an hour. I'm now walking at seven kilometers an hour. I'm very happy with that. At my age, I'm very happy with that. So if they were to start, if every person were to start, if they can, walking for 10 minutes as fast as they can, measuring where, how far they walked, I mean, not, not with a ruler, but um, with your car as a general idea of distance, and every two weeks, build that up by five minutes. So after about six months, you're walking for one hour. Now, you mustn't walk longer than one hour, and you mustn't walk more than one uh, every second day. So three days a week, one hour at a time, walk as fast as you can, you will find that your blood pressure, your heart, 
your pulmonary system, your everything in your body gets fitter, you get fitter, and you're saving yourself from a lot of um, diseases and conditions which come about through lack of exercise and lack of use because what you don't use, you lose. So I hope that answers your question. It does indeed. What, if any, supplements would you recommend people consider taking? Ouch. <laughs> uh, I don't really take supplements. There's one chemist, uh, there's one um, or two things that I do take. I've been taking calcium and magnesium tablets. Now, there are tablets out there that are calcium and magnesium, but unless those that calcium and magnesium is chelated, C-H-E-L-A-T-E-D, which means it's, it's um, joined together at atomic level, I think, into one chemical. One, like water, is H2O. It's only H2O. It's not hydrogen and oxygen. With calcium and magnesium, they cannot get through the blood-brain barrier unless they are chelated. And in collated form, they, they do you a lot of good. In non-collated form, they don't do much good because they can't get anywhere. So I'm not a chemist, so you can check that up with all the people who knows the chemistry. But what I'm saying is perfectly true. Um, so I take calcium and magnesium tablet, tablets, collated ones. I also take vitamin C. Vitamin C is something which I've found in practice when I've got a bit of a um, scratchy throat, it disappears quite, you know, very soon. If I take a couple of doses of a thousand at a time, uh, vitamin C, it, it's, it takes most things away. So it, it works wonders with me. I think that a vitamin B also, um, um, a proper vitamin B complex is good for you. And I also think that um, this omega-3 oil is, is, is quite good for better living. But you don't have to take any of those things because most foodstuffs have got all the vitamins you need. So, having shot myself in the leg already, <laughs> I'll better shut up. <laughs> I've interviewed mm -hmm. a number of people who recommend one diet or another. I have to admit, John, I'm a bit overwhelmed by the many different types of recommendations I've heard uh, from guests who've uh, been here on the show. What kind of diet would you recommend that people have? Well, I think a, 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 a healthy diet, you know, not too much, not too little, and vegetables, fruit. The only thing that you shouldn't eat when you've got Parkinson's is grapefruit, which I think is a no-no. Other than that, I think a, a, a balanced diet. I personally prefer more, more fat and less carbs, um, but that's my personal choice. I find that I, I, I keep my, maintain my weight level easier on that way, eating more fat, that's butter and cheese and those sort of things, and less uh, flour, bread, rice, and that sort of thing. But that's my personal choice. I, I wouldn't enter into this argument <laughs> one type of diet against another. But for Parkinson's, I don't think any anything... There are things that you can eat that have which have levodopa in them, which is mucunopurines, um, again, I've never taken that, so I can't say I recommend it. But if you're talking about diet, you may want to include that in your diet. But it's natural, and it's not going to give you the side effects that, um, that the pills do. And, of course, levodopa medication has many side effects, and not nice side effects, some of them. So um, the only other thing about eating, um, Robert, is 
you have to be very conscious of the time in, when you eat and the time when you take tablets because the um, the chemical that meat is um, I can't think of the name of the of the type of food meat is it's uh, help me out here it's it's not carb carbs meat is um, I can't think of the word <laughs> I know I'll think I about it when I put the phone down um, but anyway uh, you should see see all the types of food that have this um, Oh, gosh, <laughs> this is a radio program and it's only talk and I can't talk. <laughs> this kills me. Um, meat is a, a type of food and it's it's not, it's protein. Okay. Protein. Protein, proteins vie for levodopa in the, in the gut. If you're taking levodopa medication, protein and, and levodopa search each other out and they combine and it doesn't get into your brain. So you're taking it at the wrong time. If you've got the two together in the, in the stomach, it doesn't get to your brain. So you're wasting your money or somebody else's money. But you're not getting the benefit. That's the important thing. So you should, if you've got a full tummy, you should wait for two hours before that food gets out of the stomach and you can take medication. If you are taking medication before you eat, you should give at least three quarters of an hour. I would give an hour. I've heard people say quarter of an hour, but you don't dissolve that. You don't get rid of that medication in the stomach in quarter of an hour or even half an hour. If you want your medication to work properly, you must. You should give at least an hour after taking medication or two hours after eating any proteins. So, having said that, Look up uh, the uh, on Google, see what foods have proteins, and breakfast cereals have proteins, and most things have proteins. So you have the choice. And it's no use saying, I've got to eat and I've got to take tablets. In your stomach, it sorts out the problem, not the problem, it sorts out who wins. And whether you're taking it, if you take it too soon, either way, you are just wasting your money and you're not getting the benefit of the medication. It doesn't matter whether you need it or not. But... I'm not a believer that that you need to take so much medication if you are doing exercise. And I know people take ex take medication every two hours, and therefore they can't eat or have medication without interfering with one another, and then they're not getting any benefit from doing it. And one of them is my best friend, who's had Parkinson's almost as long as I have. So he doesn't listen to me, <laughs> and he's my best friend. <laughs> It's actually his wife who doesn't listen to me because she's she's a theatre nurse or she was a theatre nurse. They're both in their seventies, and um, she says I I prefer to listen to the doctor, John. You don't know as much about it as he does. And I said, okay, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Right. Okay. So that's food. Now, many people that I have interviewed who have found ways to reverse their Parkinson's talk about one therapy or another that's been helpful to them. And there's just a huge long list now that we've developed of different kinds of therapies from yoga to Feldenkrais to cranial sacral too. And then again, we could list another dozen or two therapies. Do you do any of that? No. <laughs> um, I've never um, sort of had the time to, to, well, most of them weren't around, but Every every exercise must have some positive effect on Parkinson's. So you're comparing maybe 5% with maybe 45%. Uh, 
if I'm going to spend any time doing anything, it would, it would best be at, at the highest level. And fast walking, um, Dr. Beth Fisher, 10 years ago when she addressed the first World Parkinson Congress, gave the results of the effect of exercise on Parkinson's disease. And this is on human patients. And the, the, the exercise that gave the best results was what she termed high-intensity walking. Now, high-intensity walking to me means fast walking. So fast walking was proved in scientific tests by Dr. Beth Fisher, look it up on, on Google, as being the, the best result and best exercise to give the, the best result with Parkinson's. So why do anything else? I know that um, there's CrossFit training and there's Tai Chi and there's, there's, there's a whole reef of things out there, which is all exercise. And a lot of it is to do with conscious control, like Tai Chi and Feldenkrais. And so they're all doing good. But are they repairing the damaged brain cells? That's the question. If they don't repair the damaged brain cells, or they do to a much lesser extent, why do them in, in, in place of fast walking? Now, why every second day? I get lots of questions. Why can't I do it every day? The muscles, when you're doing something extreme, you're walking as fast as you can, remember? And if you're walking as fast as you can, you're stretching your muscles, the leg muscles, the calf muscles, the thigh muscles, and the glutes. You are stretching them to their limit. So and you're doing it as, as long as you can, too, up to, up to one hour. And they need one day to recover from that. If they don't get that one day, they start eating themselves up which means your muscles get smaller and therefore are struggling even harder to do what you want them to do. So be sensible. Listen to people who know what they're talking. And I'm, this is not my advice. This is advice that's given to me. Don't walk hard every day. Walk every second day. And don't walk further than you are uh, trained to do. So when you're walking one hour, you don't need to do any more to get any better results because at that point, you're not doing anything more. So this is what's passed on to me. I pass it on to you. Hmm. Now, you are in such incredibly good health. Do you have a doctor that you see? I've got a, I moved to Cape Town three years ago or four years ago when I, my late wife died five and a half years ago now, and um, I decided 15 months later... I in order to do these talks going all over the world, I had to have somebody with me. And I'm not, I'm not able to get my mind around uh, traveling with a partner. We'll call it a partner. Um, and I decided that I wanted to, have, wanted to get married again. So I hadn't got anybody in mind at that time. So cutting a very long story short, I had a list of about three or 400 people that I regularly had contact with, women who were widowed, lovely people and so forth. And somehow or another, in thinking of all these people, I kept on, I started to compare them with one particular person. And, and I thought to myself, um, three or four weeks later down this track, I thought to myself, well, I'm comparing everybody with this lady who is now my wife, her name is Jeanette. When I started comparing them with her, and I thought to myself, well, why don't I ask her if she would like to get to know me? In actual fact, I reversed that. I said, I would like to get to know you better. Are you interested? And I told her why, and also gave her a list of all my failings and, um, and bad habits and so forth, because I didn't want her to find those out after having put, put some time into them. So, 
And I said, if we get to like each other enough, I would like to get married. So that was um, um, the first email that I sent her, <laughs> which is not romantic. But it was very common sense. And she came back to me after three days after having discussed it with her children and her doctor and, and a couple of other people in her, her, her minister at church. And um, she came back and said, yes, I would like to get to know you, but not, uh, nothing other than a friend. So I said, that's great. That's all I want to know. And if we get to like each other, we like, I like to get married. So three months later, we were ready to get married. And um, we actually started living with each other three months um, after that. And in sin, I may say, because my daughter didn't, she was absolutely horrified that I wanted to get married again so soon after Shirley died. And I said, well, it's, it's 15 months. Well, then it was 18 months later. And I said, and Shirley went before she died, and both of us had discussed this. We each wanted the other one to get married because we lived with Shirley's late, with Shirley's late mother for 24 years. So in other words, in our home, we had a mother-in-law living with us for 24 years. Now, that's hard going. And she knew how hard going that was. And she also knew how difficult it was uh, for you know, you know the the people involved and 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 i mean for the for the lady for her mom herself because during the daytime when we were at work she was alone she couldn't go out anywhere she couldn't do anything she was a, a prisoner in that house and when we came home at night we were tired and you know we we, we both worked hard and so forth we worked a long day and um, she hardly saw us she hardly heard us but she was a prisoner, but she would rather stay there than in a retirement village where she should have been, where she would have got to know new friends, made new friends, and it was an environment that is set up to deal with older people. And you, your kids can visit you. It's much easier to do that than to live with them. So my late wife knew that, and um, we both agreed that if we died, we would like our partner to get married again because living on your own is not nice. So that's what we did. And, but my daughter didn't believe that. She said that I, I'm being disloyal and so forth. And um, well, anyway, she's still not right about it. And it's, this is uh, three years later. And um, in fact, getting on for four years later. But we didn't, we've done the right thing. We're both very happy. We're able to do this traveling together. We're safe. We're happy. Um, we, both of us are 10 years younger than we were when we got married. And I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> Oh, what a wonderful story. We both had very happy married lives before that, so we, we, we've got happy experiences of marriage. Some of the individuals listening to this radio show today have just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. What would you want to say to them right now? Same story. Start doing exercise. Try and avoid medication. I'm not against fighting off medication. Sometimes if, if we all at least 70 to 80 percent down the track when we are diagnosed. So we've had it a long time. And sometimes the first symptoms that come are very difficult to live with. And maybe you do need medication. But don't forget, I'm not knocking medication, but medication does nothing to change the progression of Parkinson's. And it has never been designed to do so. It's, all medication is designed to beat one or two of the symptoms, mainly the, the, the tremors and the rigidity. They're the two that I think they target most. And if you've got any of those two, you may decide to take some medication, but don't put your, your whole 
um, um, trust in it. it we'll say trust, that's the wrong word. Um, you're depending upon it. Don't put that dependence on medication because the only thing that can change the progression of your Parkinson's is um, the fast, or any exercise, but fast walking being the best, proven to be the best. And put that effort there and take the medication if you have to. So that's, I think, the, the advice I would give everybody. John Pepper, what question have I not asked you that I should have asked you? I don't know. <laughs> That's for you to tell me. Um, maybe you think, is, is, is this a catch question? What question should you ask me? <laughs> what, what type of whiskey do I like? Is that the question? <laughs> you, want to, you want to send me some whiskey? <laughs> when you give so many talks to so many audiences, what's the most common question that you get? Oh, can I use a treadmill? That's probably the most common, you know, for the walking. The answer is, when you're on the treadmill, I've seen people on treadmills reading books and watching movies, or watching movies, you know, and watching the, 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 uh, the TV. So how much of the brain is being used walking? Where is the problem? In your mind. It's in your brain, not in your body. So when you're doing walking, the concentration on the walking and the surface on which you're walking is two-thirds of the effort the brain effort, the, the actual um, uh, governing of the walking itself is easy. But the, the problem we have is in the brain. And the more brain exercise we do, I do Sudoku puzzles, cryptic crossword puzzles. I started learning a foreign language. I started to learn French for a couple of years and the teacher died, but that was in the retirement village. But um, just the process of learning a foreign language was, absorbed a great deal of brain effort. And there are lots of things. Word games, playing bridge is good. Um, all sorts of exercise other than walking if just for pleasure is good. So I hope I've answered the question. <laughs> you have indeed. How do people get in touch with you if they'd like to be able to connect? Well, if they go onto my website, they can write to me on my website and I will respond straight away. It's, it's reverseparkinsons.net. And so that website is www.twowordsjoinedtogetherreverseparkinsons.net. How can people acquire your book, Reverse Parkinson's? Well, they can do that on the website too. It's it's eighteen dollars, or there's a there's a, a, a Kindle version for three dollars ninety nine. And that's on Amazon. You, you have to go to Amazon for the Kindle version. I don't have a book on Amazon because I am not. I'm one man. I'm doing all this myself, delivering books and signing books and wrapping books and so forth. And I couldn't handle the volumes that would come in via um, Amazon. Short of starting a new business, and at the 82, uh, age of 82, I'm not ready to start a new business again. <laughs> so, if, if I find, uh, if I am lucky enough to find a um, a professional um, book, um, well, another word I can't find. Anyway, if I can find somebody who will print my book for me and, and market it for me, that will solve the problem. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> Thank you. So you have all of these presentations that are scheduled uh, throughout the U.S. as well as now Canada. Do you schedule those yourself? Um, I set. I, I, I just 
choose the cities that I can go to, which is you know, a bit of common sense. You can't go jumping around all over the place. I went from New York to up to Boston, across to L.A., out to um, um, Hawaii, and then back to San Francisco, up to the conference in Portland, and now to Vancouver, and I'm going right across Canada to Montreal, and then going home from there. So it's, it's almost a straight line in two, three, three, three directions. And um, I choose... I choose the direction, uh, the uh, and I put in. I had other cities put in, and then my next step was to send out to all the people in those areas that have bought books, because I keep a record of everybody that buys a book. And so I've asked them if they would like me to come there and talk. Would they be able to organise? So once I once I, you know I started off with about 15 US cities. In fact, I think about 20 US cities, and it got down to seven where I found people who were prepared to organise and go to the trouble of organizing meetings because I don't charge for what I do. I don't expect to be paid for what I do, but I, I would like to try and recover the cost of getting there and the cost of staying here. You know, in, in hotels and so forth, it's very, very expensive. Our South African rand is worth nothing. It's gone down the tubes. Um, our rand is worth one-thirtieth, one-thirtieth of what it used to be a few years ago. And when I saved all my money, because we don't have pension schemes for people who own houses. So if you have own a house, you don't have a pension. So I live on my, my savings. And those savings were put in when the rand was worth at least $2 to the rand and got down to $1 to the rand and then to $2, one, $2, two rands to the dollar and then it got down to 15 rands to the dollar. So um, it's gone down very heavily. So I'm I'm struggling with my savings to do this, but... Whether I go out of money or not, I will do it until I get uh, spend all my money, because it's that important. John Pepper, on behalf of thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out today to be a guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio show. It's been quite motivational and spectacular for all listeners. Thank you very much, Robert. And that's what's happening on, you guessed it, the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are beautiful, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. May your week be absolutely magnificent. Good day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.